Well, good morning, Cottondale Baptist Church. It's an honor and privilege to uh, worship with you again, and um, we're online again, and Lord willing, it won't be too much longer, but the Lord knows, but as long as we have to do it this way, um, we'll just try to be as faithful as we can and just pray the Lord blesses it. And so um, this morning, we're going to continue our series through uh, the book of Matthew, and we're still in the Sermon uh, on the Mount. And I believe God has a, has a word for us. He has something he wants to say to us all. And so before we begin, let's uh, pray together and uh, ask God for a blessing. Father, I need your help now. I need your grace to preach the truth in love. Oh, Lord, give us pure hearts. Oh, Lord, let our words and our lips and our mouths be clean before you. With Isaiah, Lord, we can say... Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We pray that the purifying, burning coal of Christ's uh, work would be applied to our mouths, Lord, that would make us clean, atone for our sins, Lord, and make our mouths useful vessels and instruments to bring you praise and honor and glory in this world. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn it to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, I encourage you to grab a Bible and uh, turn with us there. And we'll be referring to that passage throughout the message. This morning, we're going to be talking about holy speech for a holy God. Holy speech for a holy God. Um. As I begin, I want to share with you a couple of quotes that I come across concerning the um, this importance of the truthfulness of our speech. The Essenes were a, a community uh, that were around in Jesus' day, and they were a strict community. They believed that they were the the true and faithful remnant of Israel, whereas most of the people they believed in uh, the, the mainstream of Judaism and in Jerusalem and stuff were had fallen away from the true faith. And among the Essene community, there was a saying that said, quote, One who is not believed without an appeal to God stands condemned already. One who is not believed without an appeal to God stands condemned already. Uh, similarly, in the Expositor's Bible, the commenter said, he said, quote, Let a man habitually live in the fear of the Lord all the, days, all the day long and, and his word is as good as his oath. Let a man habitually live in the fear of God in the fear of the Lord all day all the day long, and his word is as good as his oath. Truthfulness in speech matters. It matters uh, to everyone. It matters most significantly to God, because God cannot lie, and the hallmark of the devil is that he is a liar and the father of lies. And so Honesty and truthfulness and straightforwardness in our speech is of great significance to God. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Holy speech for a holy God. We're going, to, um, uh, we're going to begin now by reading our passage from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. And as I did last week, you know, even though you're at home, let me go ahead and ask you and invite you to stand in your homes or wherever you are in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. Jesus said, Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, 
You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. The word of God. You may be seated. I want to explore this, um, uh, this idea of holy speech for a holy God. Um, uh, under three principles here. Number one is that God's name is holy. God's name is holy. Principle number two is that vain words are evil. Vain words are evil. And principle number three is that truth and speech is utmost. Truth and speech is utmost. So God's name is holy. Vain words are evil. And truth and speech is utmost. So number one here, we want to see is that God's name is holy. We must remember as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, particularly this particular section, that Jesus is explaining how he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That is, he's bringing, he's not getting rid of the law per se or just outright, but rather what he's doing is he's fulfilling it. He's completing it. He is consummating it. He is bringing it to its full and appointed end. He's bringing in what the law itself pointed to, the fullness of the law, we could say. Or as it says in other places of the Bible, the law of Christ. Uh, he, and, he, and he's also explaining how, as he said, that unless our righteousness exceeds that, of the scribes and the Pharisees. We will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And so um, our righteousness must go beyond the external, the merely external, and it must go beyond the letter of the law because kingdom righteousness points us, moves us toward an internal purity and integrity of heart, an internal righteousness in private and in public, doing what's right even to one's own hurt, um, uh, uh, a righteousness that comes from within, that, is, uh, that, is, that goes beyond the letter of the law. Um, it, it does no good if we look nice and good on the outside, but inside we're filthy and full of pride and greed and lust and, 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 and selfishness and worldliness. And so this passage today is yet another example of this kind of hypocrisy that was practiced in every, every day and in practiced in Jesus' day and practiced even among the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the most religious people in Jesus' day. And this is what Jesus is teaching and he's explaining. Our text today particularly deals with oaths. Jesus began by saying, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. The Old Testament is replete with... Uh, Scripture that talks about the seriousness of invoking the name of God uh, in a flippant way. And so involved in what Jesus is talking about here is not merely just the taking of a vow. Uh, that's included, but it's not merely taking of a vow. In other words, uh, swearing that you will do something. Uh, it's not merely dealing with that, but it's also the take. It is related. It's, it's this similar idea it involves uh, the taking of an oath as well. That is, invoking God's name, for example, uh, to attest, if you will, or to testify to the truthfulness of your speech. And what Jesus is saying is that these things are very serious. 
and invoking God's name in any way that does not accord with the proper reverence and respect that it deserves is a very serious sin. These are very holy and weighty matters when we talk about when we invoke the name of God in something we say and in our speech. We know this is very serious because it is one of the Ten Commandments. The third commandment says, Exodus 27, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You see, God's name is who God is. It is a verbal, it is a verbal reference to his very person, his very being. When you take the name of God upon your lips... You are invoking the full reality of who God is. And that is true, by the way, when you invoke any name, right? So I have a name. My name is Chad Henley. When you hear the name Chad Henley or when you refer to me as Chad Henley, you are invoking the, the entirety of my person. When you hear the name Chad Henley, depending on what you think about me, a whole... A whole mental image, a whole mental picture, including feelings and affections and emotions regarding how you feel about that person or how you feel about me. All of that is conjured up in your mind and is brought to mind immediately upon hearing my name. Because my name represents me. It represents who I am and the the totality of my being and your concept of who I am comes to mind when my name is spoken or when you invoke my name. In the same way, then, when we invoke the name of God, a whole, a whole sense, a whole, the, the whole fullness of our, of our sense, of our consciousness, of our awareness of who God is, is brought upon our heart, is brought upon our mind, is brought upon our being. God's name represents all that He is. Therefore, what Jesus is saying is that when we take God's name lightly, what it does is it shows that we take God lightly. When we take God's name flippantly, what it proves to the world is that we take God flippantly, lightly. That is that we take his name lightly because when we, when we invoke his name, our concept of God is so small. Our consciousness of God is so small that we consider it nothing to take his name lightly. We have to remember that in our English Bibles, if you read your Old Testament, you'll see um, all over the Old Testament that the, the word LORD, capital L-O-R-D, it'll be in, it'll be in all caps, and the O-R-D will be in, in small, small caps, but it'll be all capital letters, okay? Capital L-O-R-D. When you see that in your Old Testament, you always need to remember that that is not a, in the Hebrew, that is not a word that could be translated into English as LORD or MASTER. That's, that's, not, that's not what it means. It's just the typical English way, you know, going way back of the way they translated the personal name of God. So when you see capital L-O-R-D in your Bible, it is not a word meaning Lord or Master. Rather, it is just the way they've chosen to translate the actual personal proper name of God. Just like I have a name, Chad Henley, God has a name in in the... Uh, some people, it has been pronounced, um, uh, lots of people pronounce it Yahweh. But it's not a word meaning Lord. It is actually God's name. Just like I have a name, God has a name. And, and if people have said before, they, they, uh, is, uh, some people pronounce it Yahweh. 
And so all over the Bible, God invokes his name. When he, when he gives a promise, oftentimes, uh, or when he gives a promise or when he gives a command, oftentimes he will preface it by saying, I am the Lord. In other words, he's proclaiming his name. It'd be like me saying, I am Chad Henley. I'm going to do this. <laughs> but it's, it's obviously much more serious when God says it. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I'm going to do this. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. You shall do this. It, it, it gives a huge weight and gravity and seriousness to what is being said when God invokes his own name and how much more when we invoke God's name. When we take God's name upon our lips, we are saying something about how we either respect or don't respect God himself. And as it says in the third commandment, God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In Exodus, when Moses was on Mount Sinai, he made this incredible request to God. Please show me your glory. And what did God do? Well, he had Moses and he, 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 he had him... He hid him in a, in a rock, as it were, to cover him from the fullness of his glory, lest it kill him. And Moses was only allowed, as it were, to see the backside of God's glory. And, 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 and what else did God do when God showed him his glory? Or, or we may ask specifically, how did God show him his glory? Well, it tells us in Exodus 34, verse 5, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And if we, carry, if we continue in that passage, it says, and, and by no means clearing the guilty either. And so when God wanted to show Moses his glory, he did it by proclaiming his name. In other words, hearing God's name was beholding his glory. And when he proclaimed his name to Moses, he proclaimed the fullness of who he is. One of the core aspects that he wanted Moses and all generations to associate with the name of God. He is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, but also by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting iniquity upon generation upon generation of the evil. And so that's a core aspect of who God is, and therefore invoking God's name is invoking the fullness of who he is. A God that is both merciful and gracious to those who come to him in faith and who repent of their sins, but also a God who is fierce in his justice toward those who take him lightly. And so we see all through the Bible that God's name is not to be taken lightly. In fact, this is the uniform testimony of the entire Bible, and especially in the Old Testament. Some other verses that refer to this, Leviticus 19.12, You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of the Lord. Uh, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. 
Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Leviticus 24, 15. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. God takes his name seriously. You know, a real problem in this world and a temptation that we all face is we want to take our name more seriously than God. Somebody curses me, somebody curses my name, somebody blasphemes my name, somebody speaks ill of me or slanders me, I'll get real mad about it. But if somebody blasphemes God... You know, that's the question I have to ask myself. Do I, do I get more upset about my name than God's name? Oh, the wrath that is mounting up against the world that takes God's name lightly. Oh, the multitudes of people who will say, who will use as an exclamation, say, Jesus Christ, or use the name as a curse word, or just a mere exclamation, or just, or even do things like, in, in wicked ways will say things like trying to prove their, trying to attest to their truthfulness, say things like, I swear to God, I swear to God, and they'll say that knowing they don't mean it. In fact, if you have to say, I swear to God, to prove your truthfulness, it are, what it does is it already proves you're untrustworthy. God's name is holy. And God will not hold guiltless him who takes his name in vain. So number one, God's name is holy. Number two, vain words are evil. Vain words are evil. Uh, Matthew 5, 34 to 36, Jesus said, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or So as we look further at what Jesus says here, we have to ask again what contrast Jesus is making. Because remember, he's saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And uh, we've already seen how the letter of the law is, is, is good. It's, it's, uh, the, the law is right and good. God's name is holy, and it shouldn't be taken in vain, and that's what the law said. But, of course, God is calling us something to something Higher than that. In other words, it is no good to not take the name of the Lord in vain. Specifically, Jesus has in mind making vows and oaths. It doesn't matter if you don't take the name of the Lord in vain, if you're still speaking in a way as to not mean your oaths or as to not take your vows or your oaths seriously just because you didn't specifically invoke the name of God. That is, our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Because what was happening is that the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they, of course they would never think of taking the Lord's name in vain. So what they would do to skirt around or to circumvent the law is they would take vows and oaths, but they would, they would take vows and oaths by something other than God's name. They would swear by uh, the temple or swear by Jerusalem or swear by the altar and swear by all these other things. And they would think, oh, well, you know, 
if I, you know, if I kind of let it, if I kind of let my word fall here and don't really keep it, well, it's okay because guess what? I didn't take the Lord's name in vain because I didn't swear by the name of the Lord. I swore by something else, the altar, the temple, Jerusalem, things like that. And so they would swear by things other than God and oftentimes not really meaning what they were making an oath about. But hey, it's not a big deal because I didn't swear by God's name. And in fact, it's well attested that the Jews uh, at various times had elaborate systems of what did and did not constitute a binding oath. If you swear by this, you know it's binding. If you swear by this, well, it's not binding. Okay? And, um, uh, but Jesus uh, had strong words to say about this. In fact, later in the book of Matthew, there's an expanded denunciation of this practice. And Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 16, he says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, by the throne of God, uh, whoever swears by heaven, by the throne of God and by him who sits, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. And similarly, in our passage today, for Jesus' Jesus's conclusion from teaching like that or, or thinking like that, uh, in our passage today, says he says, do not take an oath at all. Verse 34, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And so, putting this together, what is Jesus' logic concerning the Pharisees' skirting or circumventing of the law? His logic is this, <laughs> If you're just going to do that, it's better just to, to not take an oath at all. Just don't, just don't take an oath at all. Because taking an oath or a vow by something even other than God's name, Jesus is saying, doesn't solve the root problem of taking the person of God lightly. So what Jesus was saying here is that, let's say you swear by heaven. Well, Jesus says, well, if you swear by heaven, then guess what? You're still swearing ultimately in relation to God because heaven's where God dwells. And if you swear by earth, you're still ultimately invoking the person of God because uh, earth is God's footstool. And if you swear by Jerusalem, you're still ultimately invoking the person of God because Jerusalem is the city of God. It's the city of God's chosen king, namely Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus says, don't even swear by the hair on your head because God is ultimately in control of of the color of your of the hair of your head, and when your hair turns gray or white, or whether you, your hair will even grow or not, God. In, in other words, the world so comprehensively belongs to God, and so completely exists by God for God that to swear by anything is ultimately to invoke the person of God, and so to take any oath flippantly is to take the person of God Himself lightly. And so the final thing we need to ask here is this. Is Jesus completely excluding the taking of all oaths? Um, 
at mere face value, it would seem that he's saying that, and some people haven't have taken it that way. Quakers, for example, in the past have refused even to take um, oaths of truthfulness in a court of law. You know, do you, do you, uh, do you swear to, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you God? I mean, some people have refused to even take those oaths. But most commentators have understood that what Jesus is condemning here is the flippant use of oaths and the these elaborate system of the Pharisees to swear by all this and that to make some oaths binding and some not to kind of basically they're just not taking their own words seriously and that's what jesus is condemning but for example in some of paul's writing paul says things like god is my witness and so it seems that 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 seems to be a form of uh, oath god uh, paul is invoking god's name uh, to attest to his truthfulness to some of these churches that for every reason was wasn't trusting or submitting to his authority so I don't think Jesus' point is to condemn all oaths whatsoever, but is to, but is to condemn taking uh, our words lightly. Because any type of oath ultimately invokes the name of God. All truthfulness of our speech matters to God, because not only is God's name one of the commandments, but you should not bear false witness is another one of the commandments. So all of our speech is ultimately a reflection on our view of God. And our respect and fear of God. And so to me that seems to be Jesus' point. I believe Jesus here would attest to the wise words of Solomon on these matters found in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1 and following. Solomon wrote, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth, let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. So what we see is that God's name is holy, vain words are evil, and finally, number three, truth in speech is utmost. Truth in speech is utmost. Uh, Jesus' conclusion uh, to this section um, is found in verse 37. Jesus says, Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this, anything more than this comes from evil. So this is Jesus' conclusion, and um, the main point of what he's saying here is very simply this. Let your words be true. Let your words be honest. Be a person of your words. Have integrity in your words. Let... When, when you say yes, let it simply be yes. When you say no, let it be no. Don't be misleading or deceitful in your speech. You should be so truthful in your speech. Uh, like, like the quotes that I shared at the beginning, they're worth looking at again. The Essenes said, one who is not believed without an appeal to God stands condemned already. The Expositor's Bible said, let a man has habitually live in the fear of the Lord all the day long and his word 
is as good as his oath. That's how we're to be as Christians. Our words should be as good as his oath. We shouldn't have to swear by God. We shouldn't have to make oaths about this or that. We should just, if we say it, we should mean it. And we should do it. And we should keep what we say. Anything more than this, Jesus says, come from evil. Uh, James puts it this way in verse, uh, James chapter 5, tw- verse 12. He says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Anything more than that, and we will fall under condemnation, James says. But let our yes be yes and our no be no. Anything more than that, James says, comes from evil. And the evil there could be translated the evil one. The evil one. And so likely what Jesus is saying there is that if we go beyond saying what we mean and meaning what we say to, to start becoming deceptive and deceitful with our words, these come from the evil one. Remember who the devil is. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. The very first lie that he told Adam and Eve was that they wouldn't surely die. He told them that they would be like God, knowing good and evil. And you see what a great deceiver that he was because in fact they did come to know good and evil but in the completely wrong way they came to know good and evil by becoming evil themselves and if we join in the devil with his lies and his deceptions and his mischaracterizations and his smooth words that manipulate and disguise the truth then we are in fact his children Remember, Jesus told the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. But God is true. God cannot lie. All his words are true. And if we are his children, we will be truthful and reverent in our speech as well. So let us be true like our Christ. Let our words be true, pure words that come out of integrity of heart. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Our word is good as our oath. And as I close this morning, there's one final most important thing that I just want to say about this. And that is that if you, um, if you like me, have used words incorrectly, have misled or, de- misled or deceived by our words and our speech, there's a, God takes it seriously. Perhaps you've taken God's name in vain. Perhaps this very day you've taken God's name in vain or taken God's name lightly. The glory of grace in God's mercy is this, is that if we'll acknowledge that wrong and come to God and ask him for mercy through Jesus Christ who died to pay the penalty for our sins and who rose from the dead to conquer the penalty for our sins, to overturn the penalty for our sins, if we come to God through faith in Christ, turn from those sins and seek God's mercy and forgiveness through Christ who died and rose from the dead, the Bible says God will forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God can forgive you of your sins, including something as great as taking his name in vain. He can wash those sins away white as snow by the blood of Christ who died for us. And so this morning, if you stand in your sin before God, among many, one of which being taken the Lord's name in vain, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to stand in your sin. You can come to Christ. 
You can believe in him. You can trust in him that he died, that he rose, that he lives forevermore, that he's coming back one day. And if you surrender and trust in him, God will accept you on Christ's behalf. And you can become a citizen of Christ's kingdom. Have his spirit come into you so that the law of God, much greater than the letter of the law, the law of God is not written on tablets of stone outside of you. It becomes written on your heart by the spirit himself changing you from the inside out. And I pray that you would join us in the family of God where that is true. Let's pray together.